Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today is Bruno Peshik. And here's a bit about Bruno. Bruno helps business leaders innovate profitability. He is the rare innovator who can claim that he's worked on a regulation-defying freight train and an award-winning board game. In addition to his corporate experience with brands like DNV, DNB, and Kongsberg Group, Bruno runs a community of entrepreneurs of several thousand members. He is currently undertaking a doctorate in organizational change with a specific focus on the issues with innovation in large enterprises. And without further ado, please welcome Bruno to GEMS. Thank you very much. That was a great introduction. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Bruno. And I want you to tell me a little bit more about who Bruno is, because a bio is just a bio, but I want to go deep diving with Bruno. Yeah. No, I'd be happy to share more on that. So uh, Bruno is a Croatian guy who currently lives in uh, Norway. And uh, those two countries are more similar than people might recognize, because even though Norway is so much bigger than Croatia, both countries have very similar number of people living in them, close to 5 million, let's say. But Norway is so much bigger that you don't really feel that because they're so spread out. Now, in terms of uh, profession, I actually started as an engineer, uh, which is what you also mentioned, working on freight trains, etc., in defense industry. But uh, as I was working a lot with innovations and product development, what I realized is that innovation is so much more than technical stuff. It has so much to do with people. And that is when I actually started looking more into, you know, okay, how do I make that side work? And I know that's a little bit mechanistic approach, but that was where I started. You know, I, I wasn't the most developed social butterfly, but I realized, hey, you know, if I really want to innovate successfully, I need to also start understanding the human side of innovation. And that is kind of what, what led me to where I am today and to this conversation as well. I love that. And I love that you had the fire burning inside of you that you wanted to do more outside of engineering. And what type of engineer are you, Bruno? Yeah. So by trade, I'm an industrial engineer. So that ah, is kind of okay. a bunch of engineering that deals with improving the systems. And it does have this whole systems approach. And that is why I also got kind of triggered like, hey, this isn't just numbers. This isn't just mechanics. There is this big, big part, humans. Because without humans, nothing else really happens. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And here in the state, industrial engineering is similar to my degree, which is supply chain and logistics. But depending on where you go to school, some schools call it industrial engineer, some schools call it supply chain, but it's a mesh of the two. But whenever you're actually industrial engineering, you do have some engineering classes in comparison to supply chain. So thank you for putting that context in there because it drives us to what our topic is about, which is profitable corporate innovations. And I want you to talk about why is this your niche area? Because we know that whenever it comes to innovations, there are executives that are risk averse because if 
if it doesn't, you know, make sense, or if it's not necessarily going to make the company money, then they're not willing to spend the time looking into innovations, because what they have currently is already working for them. So how can we get executives to see that innovations is a good thing, and it will actually set you apart in comparison to your competitors. But for you not to jump on the bandwagon, you're also setting yourself back. Oh, so uh, a lot to unpack the Genesis. So <laughs> that, that, that's good. And th that is definitely a topic I'm passionate about. So uh, we'll spend most of the time on, on uh, executives. But you asked me, like, why did I end up in that space? And I'll just give uh, an honest answer for me. And that is, I love myself a good challenge. And I think innovation domain is the best domain for creative people that like to be pushed to the limits. Because there are so many boundaries, not, not just human boundaries, but there are often technical boundaries that you need to overcome in order to succeed. So that is what I personally, or what I personally find attractive working in that field. Now moving to executives, everything that you said, I 100% agree with you, and that's also my experience. And it's kind of funny, like if someone asks me, like Bruno, is it worth investing in innovation? Like if you look even subjective feelings aside and just start looking objectively absolutely yes so there are both papers and company after company that is able to improve their profitability and economic success in the market by investing in innovation but there is a critical distinguishment in what kind of innovation they invest so so-called incremental innovations when you change something in the product service or your business you know, if, if you're offering financial services, you don't suddenly jump to uh, banking on Mars or ice cream in Manhattan, but kind of, you know, you look into specific type of financial services to maybe people you haven't served before. That is incremental innovation. So that one has much better financial performance than trying disruptive innovation. Disruptive is a very popular term. Everybody like, likes to jump on it, but people forget that in innovating is much like physical workout. You cannot walk into the gym if you never worked out in your life and expect to do push-up of 200 kilos or, I don't know, run a marathon in five minutes. That will not happen unless you're training all the time. And similar thing is with innovation. So executives think it's all or nothing. Like I'm either gonna put $100 million to get this idea out the door or i will not put anything in and that is poor thinking it's kind of logical fallacy because if you're not doing this smaller innovation projects you're not developing capability in your company so even even if you do have a good idea you will not be able to execute on it because your innovation muscles are atrophied and that is kind of the fear that you know, uh, executives have around innovation is a very real one. It's uncertain. You can lose face, you can lose position, you can lose reputation, you can lose money. But if you allow that fear to overtake you and never invest in innovation muscles, then you will ne never be able to succeed with it. So that is, that's important to recognize that fear, but then also recognize that innovation isn't a one-off activity. You need to create systems for it. And these systems, they're the ones that protect your reputation, protect your resources, and protect your money. And I'm just going to take a small pause here, like just to check if that makes sense to you as well. Yes, that, that definitely makes sense because you're, what you're telling the executives is innovation does not have to be all or nothing. You can make small steps in a, 
in innovation in order to make those big leaps later on down the line. But you have to start small or start with something in order to see the trajectory move forward. And one thing that I like what you said is that it's not always going to just be, you know, all, all of it, because you have to know what goes into the innovation. You have to know, do I have the right people for the innovation? Do I have the right systems in place for innovation? You can't just kind of jump in head first without making sure that you have your checks and balances in order is what I heard. And I really do like that you um, brought that up because I wanna ask you a question and I want you to think about when you were doing that engineering role, when you were working on those freight trains and et cetera, how did you push innovation in that current role? And were you seen as a disruptor because you wanted to bring something new in because you wanted to work smarter, you wanted to work harder, you wanted to have those efficiencies and you wanted to create effectiveness because when you, apply innovations, it does help with um, effectiveness as well as efficiencies. Oh, com completely agree again on, on the last comment. Too, too much agreement, too much agreement. We, we have to find something for, for creative disagreement. But, but that aside, so uh, I have to be honest, like when I was working as engineer, uh, it was quite young group of people with few very senior engineers that were very helpful very helpful and very happy for us to push the envelope. So in, in that regards, I was in a very good environment and maybe it was too good for us because first we were so focused on innovation just from the product perspective. So we, we were all about basically challenging ourselves, not even caring so much about the customer, but let's make the best freight train we can make Th that was it and we were crazy about it we we pulled no brakes you know we did everything we could to create the best thing everybody else they didn't necessarily find us as disruptors but you know uh, when you come with a very exotic design and you come to manufacturing and operations department and they, they start scratching their head like guys how are we actually going to make this <laughs> you know you're not creating a lot of fans but to us it was so exciting and th this feeling of excitement as i told you earlier is something that continuously you know attracts me to the field of innovation so back back to that story uh, we were very successful in creating the best product in the market. It was so good, actually, that no one believed us. No customer wanted to buy it because they said, guys, this is physically impossible. So we had actually to send that product around the world, basically on a tour, you know, so that the customers themselves could see that this product, in fact, exists. And to me, that was a Oh, I, was see it a, kinda, I see a finger. So question there, was it kind of like beta testing whenever you sent the product around the world for your customers to kind of see it, feel with, feel it, play with it and see how it um, works with their structure? Was that the gist of sending it around the world? Uh, uh, we, we did have such testing before that. So this was at the end of the product life cycle. So we had many uh, prototypes it's much easier with physical products to test the functionality but what we did like uh, everybody was happy with functionality but at the end when we had finished product we had to send it around because no one believed us that it's possible to create such a product like they didn't believe that it's physically possible so that is why we had to send it around the world and as i said for me that was a big learning lesson because what i learned there it doesn't matter how technically good the product is 
if you don't have a good story, a good narrative around it, if you cannot talk in the same language as the customer, it really doesn't matter. And it hurt me a lot back then because I was so proud of what we achieved. And that was just not recognized, not within the company, within the company's other engineers, they know what we did. But outside of the company, you know, you try to do something that's great for the customer, and they don't appreciate and that was but it was very important part for my learning journey, because that's when I realized innovation isn't just the engineering discipline, you must also understand you know, the customer. And uh, I, I realized we have been talking for, for 20 -ish minutes about innovation and I haven't pause to actually say, what is innovation for me? Because that is, that is one of the big things in large organizations. People use words like innovation, strategy, lean, Six Sigma, agile, pick, pick your method, but scrum they don't really master. say, yes, scrum master. And they don't say, what is it for them? And then you have this small dissonance across the organization where everybody thinks it's a different thing. So when I talk about innovation, what I mean is to me, innovation is something new that creates value, new, defined by the recipient and by the creator. So if you and I have a business, it's new to us if we never made it, not if it was never made in the history of mankind. It's very difficult then to create new. And the value is defined from two perspectives. Innovation must be valuable for the customer, but also for the company making it. And that is pretty broad definition. I like to call it umbrella definition, but I also like it because it can fit. It doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit, if you're some government organization, or if you're a normal, regular for-profit organization. It's not innovation if it doesn't create benefits to someone. And it's not innovation if it's just something old, old. It can be reused, okay, that's new. But if it's just old thing without value, how is it innovation? Sorry for that uh, sideline. No, no, no. I like the sideline because there may have been someone who's listening or watching this that may need it to know in what context is he referring to innovation. So Bruno, I also want you to talk about what are the critical ingredients for innovating profitability? And then when you think about this, I want you to think about start to finish. Mm -hmm. Okay, start start to finish. We can, we can probably speak for hours, but the, I'll I'll try to start at the kernel. So, when we talk about systems, there are many different approaches to systems. I like to think about it very pragmatically, very simple, the easiest way to start. So, when when I talk about innovation in context of large companies, I keep saying this profitability, profitable innovation, etc. Yes, there's no guarantees that you will profit from innovation, but there must be profitability at the end. You, you cannot just be pouring money in innovation initiatives and then never have any benefit from it. That aside, I basically say there are three critical elements. They can be as small and as big as you want. So first one is you must have processes, procedures, pathways, call it however you want in your organization, for doing innovation. What I mean by doing innovation is you must have an idea. If I come to my boss or leader in your organization and say, hey, John, I have an idea. Then you must have a process. What happens next? How do you transform this idea into a specific business, into a specific value proposition, whatever in your organization? And there are many different approaches to that out there from lean startup, design thinking, pick your innovation methodology. They're all good. They might be different in how they approach things, but 
they're good. The point isn't to, to, to be like a church, but pick what works to you. Then when you have that, this is where usually companies stop. They say, we know how to deal with ideas, but that's not enough. You must have a system for also managing ideas effectively. What I mean by managing ideas is you must have processes for selecting ideas, prioritizing ideas, aligning ideas, matching ideas with people, funding these ideas. And this might all sound trivial. You might say, yes, we do have that. And then when I ask, okay, where is your innovation strategy? How do you filter ideas? I get blank responses. <laughs> so, so, so for example, you, I'll chime in here yeah. really quick yeah. so I can put the context there. So for example, Bruno is saying, whenever you have the ideas, you need to have a strategy that takes you through the execution process in order to formulate that those ideas are not just ideas, but they come come into actual prototypes and those prototypes come into actual products and services in the market. So with coming from a corporate background and oil and gas, what are your SOPs, your standard operating procedures? Have you talked to R&D, research and development? Do you have people in place that could actually go, go out into the field and research certain things in order to ensure that what you're going to invent and innovate makes sense in the market that you're trying to tap into? Do you have have um, suppliers in place, people that are going to supply what you need in order to make your prototypes and et cetera. Do you have procurement, a person that's going to work on contracts, MSAs, master service agreements, NDAs, non-disclosure um, agreements, and all of those things. So there are so many different moving components that need to be included in the execution phase. And if you don't include those people, things can easily fall through the cracks. And go ahead, Bruno. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you mentioned a lot of stuff that, that it all falls under that umbrella that I say, like doing innovation. And that is something that every company, you start humbly. And then over time, you improve these processes because you want to reduce the time spent on them. But on managing innovation, it's all about effectiveness, not efficiency, like picking the right thing and focus on them. Even if you don't have the fastest process to pick the right ideas, just have the process. And this is really critical. Like when we had just a short discussion about what is innovation for Bruno, every organization needs to have that conversation. And it's not about meeting the definition that Bruno likes or Genesis likes or some innovation professor, but it's so powerful when you have 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people that stand behind a single definition and you need that alignment because you can't afford yourself to pick ideas that no one is behind. Even if they're the best ideas in the world, if there's no one behind them, they will not succeed in a large corporate. And then you can only lose money on them and lose time. And that's really sad, at least for me. <laughs> yes, that is extremely sad because time is money and people hate wasting their time. They also don't wanna waste their money and the wrong things, the wrong people, or et cetera. And innovation is so key. So Bruno, with you doing your doctorate program and you're looking at your passion for innovation and you're taking your background knowledge and your experience, tell us what does that look like and what change do you wanna bring about once you have your doctorate? So we, we, we touched upon it a little bit, uh, and I know it might sound a little bit shocking or paradoxical, but to me, it even isn't so much about bringing the brightest ideas to life, but rather 
how to express myself. What's more important to me is looking from the time perspective. Time is money, that's true. But looking at, at our life, time is the only thing we haven't figured out yet. It goes just in one direction. And I think that every leader in the world has massive responsibility not to waste the time of their employees. That is to me the biggest sin. You know, we can make business mistakes, we can make everything, but please let's not waste each other's time. So for me, what I'm hoping to, to achieve through my research and work and everything is to prevent this waste of time in the organizations and to, to provide ways for people in the companies to bring their ideas to life, even if they're not always successful, but that they had a chance to bring them to life in a structured way that both, both improves the bottom line of the company, but also provides personal satisfaction. Because I believe that the act of innovating is, is so humane. It, it's like, you know, applying our creativity and it's so rewarding to bring something to life no matter how small it is and i suggest everybody in the world to try it it doesn't need to be a patent it can be just just a small thing the smallest thing you you can imagine and it's such a rewarding feeling and i i just wish that everybody could feel just a little bit of joy that i feel when i do the things i do and that's it, am I making myself any sense? Uh, but <laughs> Yes, it's definitely making sense because as you talk about it, you light up and yeah. you're planting your seed, metaphorically speaking, and that seed is going to take root and it's going, going to reap a harvest because it's something that you wholeheartedly and strongly believe in. But now it's like you taking that belief and pushing it out into the world and letting people know this is why I believe so strongly when it comes into innovation. This is why I believe so strongly when it comes into profitability and just seeing the bottom line, but ensuring that bottom line gets met and we take it upwards, upwards and outwards. And I want you to talk about a struggle. And the reason why I ask about a struggle is sometimes people only see the success. They never really dial back and look at the struggles that people had to go through in order to see the success that they currently have. So what was the hardest struggle you faced personally as well as professionally? And how has it made Bruno a better man today? Mm -hmm. So it's a very good question. The, the one that requires a, a bit of nakedness, but... Uh, why not? That's why we're here, to share and for others to hopefully get a little bit inspired. So this is unrelated necessarily directly to my innovation journey, but one of my personal struggles as coming up as an engineer and being quite focused in, in what I do, uh, my leadership style was very crude. I actually made people cry with my leadership style. And, and that, that to me, you know, it was not my intent. And thankfully, I was let's say conscious or empathic enough to understand, hey, this isn't what I want to encourage people. These are not the emotions. Because what I thought was doing, I thought I was giving useful feedback. Maybe I was, but the way I was giving it, it did not create the effect I wanted to create. And that, that to me, it, it basically launched me on another journey where I tried again to you know, educate myself and, and try to empathize a bit more with others and figure out, okay, you know, uh, there is difference between speaking truth, between being candid and being respectful. And then that made the really big part of, of my coaching approach today, where I'm so focused on, hey, it always needs to be respectful. And it always must, whatever I say, must come from the place of care and from place of wanting to, you know, contribute something. So then 
at least it helps me focus a bit my leadership style and how I express myself because uh, 15 years ago, I, I, I was much rougher than today. <laughs> I like that transparency because sometimes it matters in the delivery and I could uh, coldly as well as wholeheartedly agree with you because coming from oil and gas and being a woman in a male-dominated field, I can be seen as very direct and blunt sometimes because when you work in oil and gas and you're working on these projects that are over a million dollars, you don't have time to put the fluff in, but then you have to realize that these are still people that I'm talking to and these are human beings. So I have to separate the money aspect from the people aspect and I have to find a good sweet spot to meet the uh, meet both of them at the intersection. So I like that transparency and I could relate and I had to work on that because I kept um, hearing you're so aggressive. Sometimes the guys don't want to come to you and I'm like, hey, when we're running million dollar wells, we don't have time to be cookie cutter. We need to get the job done so we don't shut down anything and we're not losing any money. But I really do appreciate that, Bruno. And as we begin to wind down, I want you to tell the listeners as well as the viewers, what is Bruno's call to action for this episode? Well, I have uh, my humblest aspiration and call to action is uh, to viewers and listeners okay you have been listening for this for 30 minutes uh, genesis and i shared a lot of ideas uh, maybe you forgot some maybe you liked something maybe you disagreed with something but i invite you to just pick one thing and apply it immediately right now if you can if not immediately tomorrow that's that's my single call to action that i have and i guarantee that you're going to see some results. Th that's it. That's it. Just pick the thing that you like the most from this conversation between me and Genesis and apply it immediately. Whatever it was, it's going to make your business a little bit better. That's, that's it. Amazing. And Bruno, I want you to tell the listeners and viewers once again who you are, how they can connect with you on social media, and leave us with one or two gems as the mission of this show is to educate, inspire and motivate okay well i'm bruno peshets i help leaders innovate profitably uh, i hope you enjoy this uh, podcast episode you can find all the resources everything that i share i share freely on www.pesec.no you will find the uh, webinars ebooks whatever you might imagine about innovation you will find it there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect, uh, but otherwise that's it. Keeping it very simple. On the gem side, we talked a lot about innovation. So uh, I'll just share two short gems. One, don't invest in thoughts, invest in ideas. A thought is something you have when you shower. An idea is something you can write down and write who is it for and how will they benefit. Number two, don't invest in orphan ideas. Ideas don't get executed out of thin air. There needs to be someone driving an idea. Never invest or put your money behind a good idea that doesn't have a Joan or Jane that will drive that idea. Two gems for goodbye. <laughs> And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. You just heard Bruno Pesic, and he shared some amazing 
things regarding innovations, profitability, and why it's so important to not just invest in thoughts, but invest in ideas and make sure you have people who are driving those ideas so they could properly get executed and ensure that you are seeing that scalability, you're seeing that revenue come in and all the things that you so desire, want, and need all come together in one centralized place. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Go out and have yourself an amazing day. And remember, nothing is impossible because the word impossible also says I'm possible, depending on how you look at it from a different vantage point. Signing out, Genesis Amaris Kemp and Bruno Peshik.